So this is going to have two two parts recording. It, it just stopped for some reason. I don't know why. All right. So if if the Jews had received the gospel, just like I'm saying, the Gentiles would have still been saved. They wouldn't have been left out. Why do I say that? Because what Jesus prayed a prayer in John chapter 17. It's recorded. It's one of his last prayers he prayed. And then he went on the cross to die. And he talked about going for the other sheep of the fold which were not part of the house of Israel. Now, that figurative expression was referring to us, the Gentile world. Secondly, when Jesus was ascending, what did he tell his disciples? Go and preach the word to the uttermost parts of the earth. Don't just preach it to the Gentiles. Preach it in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. For you, Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 60, he says, go into the world and preach the gospel. So God had us in the plan before the foundation of the world. We were or are not an afterthought. Okay, so that is strong. That's why when you read chapter 9, it explains that the whole world has been elected. The doctrine of election, that we will experience the riches of his glory, that we will all become his vessels of mercy. Amen. Now, there is one particular phrase that cuts my attention that I want to talk to before we read the um, subsequent verses. It talks about the phrase, magnify my ministry. What does it mean? Magnify my ministry simply means Paul had pride in the ministry that he was an apostle to the Gentiles. That's all. Amen. So, it doesn't mean anything otherwise. It just meant he had pride in the ministry God had given to him as an apostle to the Gentiles. That's why when you read the scripture, he says that in as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Meaning, I take pride in the calling that God has called me to. And if by any means I may provoke to jealousy. So, what is the meaning of magnifying my ministry or taking the calling that God has given to me serious. I'll provoke my countrymen to jealousy that some will be saved. And how will he provoke them to jealousy? By talking to them about the spiritual benefits of the Gentiles and how their spiritual benefits supersede the natural benefits of the Jews. If that gospel or that case is presented to the Jews, perhaps they might drop the boasting in their natural privileges and then come and receive the Lord as their Savior. Because just boasting in your natural inclination is not good enough. You are not an heir of salvation. You will not be a partaker of the resurrection, which, is, which, will, which, will, which will be in the age to come. You will not be part of that. So boasting of just some Jew seed of Abraham, that's not good enough. And Paul is saying that because I take pride in what God has called me to do as an apostle to the Gentiles, I provoke them to jealousy and tell them that the Gentiles that you don't respect, they have far more better privileges than you. For if they are being cast away, it's the reconciling of the word, what would their acceptance be by life from the dead? Do you understand that? Amen. So let's continue from verses 16 to 20. For if the first root is holy, the lamp is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, 
and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them become a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. 20. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. Amen. That, uh, when you are reading the Bible, be mindful of some things. There is the literal saying of the Bible, and there is a dark saying of the Bible. So, there are, when you are reading the scriptures, there are some verses you can literally take them at face value. It says what it means. There are some scriptures too, if you literally take them at face value, your interpretation will be wrong, your theology will be wrong. And this is one of them. What Paul is talking about here is a dark scene. He's talking about first fruits, he's talking about lamp, he's talking about branches, he's talking about olive trees, he's talking about um, um, branches being grafted and stuff like that. Now, Paul calls the early church that God saved as first fruits. In fact, when, when you look at the issue of first fruits, who are the first fruits? Some commentators say the patriarchs. Others say the early church. Well, I'm of the belief, the early church. And, and I have a reason for saying so. They were Jews. And their conversion, their con conversion to the faith was good and holy for the church. Because of their conversion, the gospel was able to reach the Gentiles. Because they were the people taxed with the responsibility to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. They were the first fruits. And mind you, I told you the last time when we came across the word first fruits, Romans chapter 8. The word first fruits in the New Testament is mentioned eight times. All right. Um, four times is mentioned in Romans. So we look at Romans 8, Romans chapter 11, and then the last time we will see of the word first will be in Romans chapter 6, I mean the book. And then when we talk about first fruits, you see them again in Corinthians. So Corinthians and Romans are where you see the word first fruits. And first fruits in Romans chapter 8 meant the Holy Spirit. We have received the first fruits of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, when we are talking about first fruits here in Romans chapter 11, it meant those who first came to the saving knowledge that Jesus is Lord. They are the first fruits. Amen. So, first fruits does not really mean an offering. It does if you are looking at the New Testament very carefully. Amen. So, that's very important. So, now, Paul wants the church now not to fall in the pride of the Jews. And what was the pride of the Jews? They boasted of their natural status. And because of their boasts and the faith they had in their natural status, they lord it over the Gentiles. You know, Jews never saw Gentiles even as human beings. They didn't respect them. Because they were like, we, are the, we belong to the Commonwealth of Israel. We have been given the promises. We have been given the blessings, and you are nothing. God didn't speak to you. God says, we are his own chosen people. Every Jewish person knew that. But with all this knowledge, they couldn't receive Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. That was a problem. They kept on believing in their natural status as seed of Abraham, 
and they believe they afforded preferential treatment because of their status and because of that it brought a lot of divide between the jewish world and the gentile world now paul is saying that the shoe is coming to the other feet of the gentiles because now you are christians you have received christ as your lord and personal savior you're on your way to heaven you have been grafted into the commonwealth of israel don't use your spiritual status to boast against the Jews and lord it over them, thinking you are more superior than them. So with that, Paul now had to use branches to explain his points. That you were a wild olive tree. You are not part of the faith. And why did Paul use that? Paul used that because when we read Romans chapter 9, if you do remember, the Bible lets us know that Israel was the first people that received the commandments. They were the first people that received the law. They were the first people that received, you know, everything that pertained to Christianity. So they are the original branch with roots. Gentiles were not given the commandments. Gentiles were not a people. They were not part of God's chosen, as we, we've, 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 we've read in Romans chapter 9. Even though later we came to realize that all of us have been made vessels of mercy because God has made known the riches of his glory. But Paul said, you are an olive tree and you were grafted in because some branches were broken off. And I don't know how many of you did agricultural science or whatever. If you ever go to do practicals, you do something called grafting. It's possible to take a tree, a branch, and then graft it to another tree. Right? It's, it's possible. That, that phenomenon is there. Uh, and Paul is saying that now, since you have now been made a partaker due to the faith of the Jewish people who now brought the gospel to you, do not boast. Remember that you do not support the roots, but the root supports you. You received the gospel not through a Gentile. You received the gospel through Jewish people who were the first people who received the commandment. So, we, we shouldn't now boast of who we are, of the inheritance we have, of the privileges we have, just because we've come to the saving knowledge of Christ, and they haven't. And sometimes, you can see this, people who have become believers, sometimes really look down on Jewish people. And you shouldn't. Because why? They are spiritually blind. And all we can do is pray for them. We can't sit down and then condemn them, accuse them, these Jewish people, who do they think they are? We are fulfilling the scripture. Don't boast about who you are. Just because you are a son of God, you know better, you have received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, and they are Judaized. Don't think that you are better than them. Because Paul says something now. Branches were broken off so that you could be grafted in. And because of unbelief, that was why the Jewish people were broken off. And you stand by faith. So do not be haughty by being in fear. And haughty is a Bible word for proud. Today, I don't think we use the word haughty. Proud. You know, when you read Proverbs, the Bible says that there, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven, yea, an abomination. One of them is a proud look. A lying tongue too is one of them. So God hates pride. Don't feel proud. Don't feel superior. 
above anybody, above someone who is unsaved, and also above especially the Jewish nation. Don't. Because we are a wild olive tree that have been grafted in because of these people. So somewhere, somehow, we have to be very thankful. Even though God had made all of us vessels of mercy who are going to be made known the riches of his glory, it still had to come through some people. Do you understand? And it came through the Jewish people. So Paul is saying that so that the Gentiles or all of us will be sober. Amen. So we shouldn't feel like we have some status or privilege over the Jews just because we know better. We are Christians who will partake of the resurrection and they don't know. Don't feel you have a superior complex. Because that was how the Jews were. They had a superior complex. Boasting in their natural abilities, natural privileges. But that wasn't good enough. Do you understand? Now, verse 21 makes it clear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you are cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. So the ending of verse 21, that people can lose their salvation or depart from the faith due to unbelief. Hence the admonition not to be proud and walk in reverential fear. So when Paul ends verse 21 that we should walk in fear, he's talking about reverential, not terrifying or fear that has to do with phobia. Amen. Then Paul goes ahead now to talk about the severity and the goodness of God. You know, he talked about people were cut off from the tree because of unbelief. However, God is ready to restore. You understand? So this one save forever save doctrine is not a true, it's not a true theology based on the scripture. Branches have been broken off. And then olive trees, wild trees that are contrary to the nature of that tree have been grafted in. However, God is ready to restore if one does not continue in the road of unbelief. So God hasn't closed the door of reconciliation. Even though people will make the choice to reject the gospel and become apostates, this scripture lets us know that God hasn't closed the door of reconciliation to them or to a Jew for that matter. Because from what we are reading here, the Jews have become apostates because they have rejected the gospel. And they believe in something else. But God hasn't closed the door towards them. Because he is saying that if they do not continue in the road of unbelief, they will be grafted in back. And Paul made a case for them. He said, if you people who were not even 
part of the original tree were able to be grafted in. How much more branches that are already part? It's easy for them to come around. So God has a plan for everybody. As far as we are on this earth, reconciliation, restoration is still open to all of us. That door has not been closed. Paul then explains if wild olive trees were, grant, were grafted in, how much more natural branches. So now he's talking about Israel. So God has a purpose for Israel. I don't think the purpose of Israel is what we are seeing on the news today. The purpose of Israel has more to do with the salvation of their soul. Amen. So Paul is making a case for Israel's restoration here. God has a plan for them. Why? Because he first gave them the gospel. Chapter 9. We've done that already. Amen. So Gentiles should be sober. Knowing that if we are being grafted in, let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Else we can end up like the Jewish people. We shouldn't be proud. Amen. And now Paul says that the reason why that has happened is because of spiritual blindness. So let's get that right. Now let's continue verses 26 to 29. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them. When I take away their sins. Verse 28. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. You know, when the Gentiles received the gospel, it widened the tension between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul is saying that for the gospel, they are your enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of your fathers. Now, this scripture does not only apply to Jewish people. It applies to the whole world. Anybody who is our enemy for the sake of the gospel is a beloved concerning the election. You understand? So, how many people has God called to save? Is it some few at the expense of others being rejected? No. The whole world has been called to experience the doctrine of election by grace. Never forget that. So when Paul uses the term all Israel, what does he mean? He's not really referring to every last single descendant of Israel. That's not what Paul is talking about. When Paul is talking about all Israel, he's just talking about Israel as a nation. They will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So based on this scripture, I believe the nation of Israel will have a larger percentage representing messianic christianity you know if you look at the country of israel now it is said that only twenty thousand people believe in messianic christianity it's a very low number considering the population of israel many of them have other you know there are many forms of christianity in israel there's the judaic christianity and so many other things even zionist is even a form of christianity there so that's also different from judaism there are many sort of them, but when it comes to messianic, it's the minority. But the Bible lets us know that before Christ will come back again, I believe strongly 
by the scripture that the larger percentage of Christians will be messianic. Why? Because God has a plan for them. And it's not just God just has a plan for only them. He has a plan for the world. He wants all to be saved. Paul then quoted scriptures in Isaiah to assert his point that even in their present apostate states, God will still stretch out his hands of mercy towards them. So the scriptures that we read, they were quotes from Isaiah. Why? Because the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. As King James who said, here, the contemporary verse is the word irrevocable. What does it mean? It means that God doesn't change his mind concerning people who he has appointed as of salvation. So why do people go to hell? People go to hell because of their choice, not because of God. God has chosen everybody to be an heir of salvation. He doesn't repent. He doesn't change his mind. But he's waiting on you to respond by believing. You see, when the gospel is preached, like we said last week, it is near your mouth, it's near your heart. Why? So that when you believe with your heart, you receive righteousness. The Bible says, with the belief of the heart, righteousness is made. And with the confession of the mouth, salvation is made. God has appointed all of us to be heirs of salvation. He hasn't changed his mind. Gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He never changes his mind. But man will end up at the place where he ends because of a choice. Amen. Do you understand? Let us conclude our text tonight with the last six verses. Verse 30 to verse 36. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. O oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid him. For of him and through him and to him all things be glory forever. Amen. So Paul is ending by saying, your former state is their present reality. Gentiles, your former state. And when we Ephesians chapter 2, you will see the former state of Ephesus, which captures the whole picture of the Gentiles. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Uh, you were, by nature, children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, loved you. He's saying that that was your former state. That is now the present reality of Israel. You who were once disobedient, you have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Because they didn't receive the gospel, you have received the gospel. So, if God had mercy towards us to come into his feet, will he also not have mercy towards the unregenerate Jews? Will he not have mercy on the apostate Jews? Sure, he will. So, Paul is ending on the mercy of God. His mercy extends to all. It extends to the backslider, the apostates, 
the person who doesn't want to believe, his mercy extends to all. So please, this 30 for 30 campaign, take it very serious with what you have heard tonight. God's mercy extends to all. The person that is practicing witchcraft, the person that is practicing voodoo, the person who has cursed God and doesn't believe in God, God's mercy extends to them. You know, sometimes it's so funny that we think that God's mercy doesn't extend to some people. God's mercy doesn't extend to people who have had a sex change. They are transgenders. God's mercy does not extend to homosexuals. Who told you that? God's mercy extends to everybody. I remember even when the Katrina came. There were some people who were preaching that the reason why Katrina destroyed and ravaged Louisiana is because New Orleans, the city, practiced a lot of Voodooism. But that's not the reason why Katrina came. Katrina came because the world is in a falling state. And even though it came, all those people who were affected were vessels of mercy because God has shown forth the riches of his glory. That's why we can preach the gospel. Do you know what it means to be a vessel of wrath? You can't receive the gospel. The door of opportunity is closed for you. So the fact that the door of opportunity for salvation is not close to everybody, it's not close to all of us, means we are all vessels of mercy. So God has patience with all of us. If he had patience with us to receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, don't you think he will have patience with unregenerate Jews? Of course he will. And Paul now ended his treatise on doxology. Doxology just means praise. How great God is. And he talked about who knows God, who has been his counselor, how unsearchable are his judgments and everything. Just giving praise to God. You see, God is a big God. Who can counsel God? God knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing right up to this point. We all can counsel God. Why has God deserved to make the whole world elected according to the doctrine of grace? There are his counselors. He knew what he was doing. Why did God have to say, Jacob I love, Esau I hate? Are we his counselors? No, we are not. But what I know presently is that the whole world today has received the riches of his glory. Hence, we are all vessels of mercy. That's why when we preach the gospel, someone can give his life to Christ because all of us are vessels of mercy. Amen. So I believe that our three-week study on these chapters on Israel should give all of us a balanced biblical view and perspective. Now, things I want you to take home. God doesn't see the Jews better than the Gentiles. Nor the Gentiles better than the Jews. So, these three chapters has debunked that theory. Nobody is better than anybody. We are all one. We have all experienced the riches of his glory. Amen. Nobody is better than each other. God has appointed to us to make known the riches of his glory. So, salvation is for all, regardless of race, creed, gender, sex, etc. That's why I like Romans chapter 10. Whoever, not a Jewish man, not a Gentile, not a black man, white, Hispanic, whatever, but whoever, whoever. Yeah, you may have done a sex change, but whoever, you are included. If you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. 
you are a vessel of mercy. The doctrine of election is not for some. So God has not chosen some people at the expense of rejecting certain people. And we read that clearly in Romans chapter 9. It makes God unfaithful and unrighteous. And Paul proved to us by scripture that God is not unfaithful or unrighteous. We have all been included by his grace. We are all his vessels of mercy like I keep on saying. That is why we can go about preaching the gospel. Now, the vessels of wrath, who are they? They are prepared for destruction and they are those who will be judged at the end of this age for not receiving the gospel and believing in Christ as their savior. So presently, we don't have anybody who is a vessel of wrath until the end of this age. Do you understand? So no matter the worst sinner, the hard cause, even the Taliban's, they are not vessels of wrath. They are all vessels of mercy. Because if we preach the gospel to them and if they receive Christ alone, God is going to count them in. You think, you think God hates who we hate? <laughs> Amen. No, he doesn't. The common thread in all three chapters we have read today is that the gospel must be preached to all. So that's, that's the bottom line. I hope tonight you will understand the nature of God. God's patience, God's love, God's thoughtfulness. I was saved because it's not an afterthought or a happenstance. He planned it before the creation of time. He thought that I would be saved and come to the saving knowledge of Christ. So I hope you can appreciate and understand the nature of God and his heart beats for humanity that all will be saved. I'm done for tonight. I'm six minutes over time. God bless you all. If you have any questions, the floor is open. I have closed, so it's up to you. If you want us to close, we'll close. But if you have any questions, uh, you are free to ask or contribute. Whatever you've learned during these three weeks, you can also contribute on that. Amen. Down for tonight. Okay, I understand everything. All right. Thank God. Thank you. You're welcome. Everyone. All right. Let, let me let me. I'll, I'll close the service properly so that we can all go. And let me pray for everybody. Okay. So the whole place is quiet. That means no question. That means there is a contribution. So. Two people. What did you take home? Don't summarize. Just what did you take home? It could be one statement, one sentence. What did you take home? Out of all the Rasmatas tonight, what did you take home? Two people. The gospel must be preached to everyone. Amen. The gospel must be preached to everyone. Amen. Yeah, we shouldn't be uh, think of ourselves more than the Israelites. Amen. We shouldn't think about more than the Israelites. Or for that matter, more than an unbeliever. 
So Paul was he's addressing the issue of his day. So don't think of yourself more than an unbeliever. The only difference between you and him is that he is spiritually blind. You are not. That's the only difference. You are not better than him in any shape, fashion, or form. Amen. Okay. Couple of prayer points. I, I want us to pray for Grandma Geraldine. She's not feeling well. I heard she has um, back issues. She's not, she, so let's pray for her. Let's pray that God will touch her. The healing power of God will reach her wherever she is. Number two. It's Joel's birthday. I thought he was going to love God. He didn't. But anyway, it's his birthday tomorrow. So let's also pray birthday blessings upon him. Amen. So let's pray this two prayer topics, then we'll close. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. We thank you for healing. Father, we pray healing upon Grandma Geraldine from the crown of her head to the soles of her feet. We call her blessed. We pray for strength. We pray for vigor, oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. For your word, I said that healing is the bread that belongs to children. And Father, thank you that she's a child of God. She's a child of the covenant. May healing be accessed to her. May it be accessible to her. I pray that at this very moment now, let the power of God, let virtue enter into her. And may she receive strength right now in Jesus' name. May every discomfort and every pain be taken away. And may healing be her portion right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, and we call it done. Amen. And Father, we also want to pray for Joel. We commit his birthday tomorrow into your hands as he celebrates another year to her years. To his years, I pray every blessing, all grace, all favor upon him. And I thank you that you will establish and prosper the work of his hands, O Lord. May his desires come to fruition in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Please don't forget, Saturday, we will meet for prayer. Saturday morning, 7 to 8. Every first Saturday of the month, we meet to pray. So, this Saturday, we are meeting from 7 to 8. May the peace of God be with you. May God cause his favor to shine upon you. And may the rest of your week be blessed. Amen. Please, be very careful of the rain and everything. Stay safe, okay? So, I see you on Saturday. Good night. Bye.